Happy Election Day to those of you in the States. I hope you took the opportunity to have your voice heard by voting. My guest on this week's episode is Mimi White. She was diagnosed with stage three invasive ductal carcinoma in November 2015 at the age of 34. Mimi shared her story behind the pink ribbon. She talked about her course of treatments and what was going on with her personally that inspired her to create Linkage Beauty Movement as a way to link women together and to help them feel beautiful and worthy. Take a listen in as Mimi shares her story. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. Thank you so much for being with me today, Mimi. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your story and how everything kind of came about for you. So what was going on in 2015 um, for you? Um, in 2015, it had came, come to a point where um, I couldn't even wear bras anymore and I couldn't sleep on my right side. I was in excruciating pain. Um, my breast started to um, become deformed. And so um, I was actually engaged at the time and, you know, he started to question it. And then that made me feel like, you know, let me go and check it out because I had been um, misdiagnosed for some years and told I had fibrocystic breast disease and that okay. it was common women and that I didn't have to worry. So I really wasn't worried, but when it became a problem, um, you know, problematic with the pain and, you know, not being able to do normal things, I finally said, let me go get a second opinion. And that's what I did. And, you know, immediately after the biopsy, that's when I found out. Um, so how long, um, how long did you wait? Like before um, you started I to kind of notice? Oh, wow. I noticed from college, I okay. noticed something wrong. Yeah, I knew something was wrong. Um, but I just didn't really know, you know, I, I thought it was normal, like, hey, you know, we get bumps or moles or things like that on our bodies. And it's not that big of a deal. But it started to hurt really bad. And it's changed colors and things like that. So I had no choice but to, you know, recognize it and try to figure out what was going on, because I knew something was wrong. So did you go to like your did you start with your PCP? Or did you start with your gynecologist? Um, I actually went right to a breast uh, doctor. You did? Um, at, yeah, I went right to a breast doctor. <laughs> like, I'm not I playing. Told, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't joking around. So um, I called around to a few hospitals like that had cancer centers and things like that that was in the area where I lived. And I found one. I explained to them what I was experiencing, what was going on. They told me to come in. They verified my insurance. They told me to come in. And um, I had my biopsy like two days after that. And Did they do I a mammogram or sonogram? No, I couldn't even, I couldn't get a mammogram in on that, on my right breast. It was that 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 painful. Wow. The nipple going inside and the protrusion from the side that was like the size of a mini golf ball. So it was all the signs there that something was wrong. They just needed to do the biopsy to find out exactly what it was, it was that they were dealing with. So when she did the biopsy, she told me, um, you know, immediately what it was and what I needed to do and things like that. And that's when I started the process. Yeah. I mean, that's like fast track <laughs> stepping into that process. Exactly. Because um, <laughs> I feel like many of us, um, you know, it's kind of like, well, you have to start here and you have to get a referral and then you have to do the mammogram exactly. and then you have to do the ultrasound and then yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, well, I'm glad, first of all, that, you know, considering that you were 34 at the time. Um, yeah that they didn't question you or they didn't send you back to like your PCP or your gynecologist. Um, I'm glad that they took you in and said, Oh no, like we've got to move on this. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That that's basically what happened. Once I found out I was just like traumatized. I didn't, you know, no one is ready, you know, to hear that. And then especially to hear that you're so far along in it and it's aggressive and, you know, these are the things that's going to happen. Like, I just got hit with tons of bombs, like bombs dropped on me that one day. Like, you know, my whole life changed, 
you yeah. know? Yeah. And it does. Like, I mean, yeah. it is, it is the craziest thing, quite honestly, to go, you know, you're just going about your business, living your life, not even yeah. thinking about it. Not even like, it's not even on many people's radar. Um, yeah, it's not, you're thinking it's not, it, that would never happen to me. That's not yeah. going to happen to me. If it happened to someone close to you and your family, you still walk around thinking that it can never happen to you. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then when it does, yeah. I mean, I feel like, I feel like the whole world just unraveled in front of me. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was stage three B. Um, yes. So it was pretty far along. I mean, that's, that's a, you know, definitely later stage. Um, yeah. So what was their recommendation? Well, um, the first recommendation was surgery because I had 17 cancerous lymph nodes also underneath my arm along with the protrusion and um, it was a few masses on the inside that they removed as well. So it was something that they wanted to jump on immediately, but that's not exactly what happened. I actually was diagnosed in November of 2015 and it was almost like things were put to a halt. Like after I found out, it was almost like I didn't know what to do next. I, I didn't receive like um, a patient navigator or anything like that from the hospital. So I didn't know what were the next steps. So I got all the way until December and I was like, you know, I have to do something like this is not right. You know, I know that I have cancer at this point. I'm not starting any treatments. I'm only told, you know, this is what you have to do. So I ended up switching doctor. So um, I ended up going to Georgetown and that's closer to my home. And I immediately started chemotherapy um, for a couple of months on my birthday, February 9th of 2000. You started chemo on your birthday? Yes. On my birthday. Come on, on girl. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't um, wait a day. <laughs> exactly. But no, they, they actually couldn't. I was really upset. I, I tried to get it that way, but the doctor's by the time I got to them and they did all of their stuff, they were like, no, you know, we're going to treat this yeah. the way we need, which is very urgent. So I'm sure. You know, I, I mean, from November to February, that's a long time to exactly. not have exactly. anything so done. I was, frustrated. I was very frustrated because at this point, now that you know what's going on and nothing's happening, you feel like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to make it, you know, what's, what's going to happen, you know? So I started chemo from February to June and in July, I got a double mastectomy. And then I started radiation in September. And then from September to the, the next January, uh, January 2017, I was in radiation. So all of 2017, I kind of got a break from surgeries and treatments and things like that. But then in 2018, I had to get my ovaries and fallopian tubes removed. So let me go back real quick and just ask, sure. what did you opt for in terms of reconstruction? I just opted for being flat. I Basically, in my mind, I said God didn't want me to have breasts, so I'm not going to go against, you know, what he's he's telling me right now. These are not something that I need. Um, it's not safe for me. They tried to kill me. Yeah. So I'm going to, you know, get rid of them and not even think about it. And I just didn't want to go through any more pain. You know, that was mm -hmm. a lot. Getting the double mastectomy was a lot. So thinking of trying to get reconstruction and things like that for me um, not that I have an issue with it or anything, but for me, it was just something I wanted to do. I just wasn't willing to do any more plastic surgery or anything like that. Right. Well, and I think, you know, that's one of the big things that I always try to stress through my podcast is, you know, every decision that our listeners make is their own personal choice. You know, um, we all make the decisions with the information that we have and we do the best that we can. And actually, sometimes you don't get enough information because yes. after the fact, I was just like, wow, not that I would have changed, you know, what I was thinking, but my doctor didn't even really discuss it with me. You know, she didn't discuss the options that I had as far as my breast, and she didn't discuss with me the options I had as far as fertility and things oh, like wow. that. It was basically like, you have this, get rid of those, we're getting rid of that, no kids for you, you know, this is what you have to do. So everything was, like, pretty harsh. And, like, when I say drop bombs on me, that's, like, literally how it felt every time, you know, I was told something and I needed to get this, you know, this next thing done or I needed to get on this next medication. So it's a lot to deal with, you know. Right. Well, and I think, you know, um, and I've had this conversation with a couple of people too, um, particularly, you know, young women, like, women are having kids at later ages, you know, we're not necessarily in our twenties. I don't have kids, so I don't even 
know why I said yeah. we, but, um, <laughs> but you know, many, many women are waiting until their thirties to have kids. And so sometimes when, when young women are diagnosed with breast cancer, it is not even an option. Like it is, yeah. you have got to start treatment right now. We don't even have time to talk about fertility. Um, yeah. this is, this is true too. And, and I, I got pregnant, um, right during radiation. Oh, wow. And my doctors were very upset because they thought that I did it on purpose, like that I was being defiant of what they were telling me because my cancer was estrogen based and things like that. So I would have been, you know, putting myself and my baby at risk if I, you know, did that. But I wasn't thinking that at the time. Now I'm a different person. But then I was traumatized with all this information. So all I wanted to do was if I did not make it. I wanted to leave behind something, you know, behind a baby. So that was my main thing. I always wanted to be a mother. I wanted to get married. I wanted to do all these things. So I was adamant about keeping my baby. But, you know, unfortunately, I had a miscarriage. And that was really hard on me. But I knew that it was something that was coming. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew Mm -hmm. that, you know, they gave me all of the information. And they told me how much I shouldn't have done this. And But you can't help what happens. It's not like I... You know, <laughs> yeah, I, I really didn't do it on purpose. You know, it just happened. So in my mind, right. it was like, oh, it's a miracle. And, you know, yeah, I'm going to well, go and, with it. <laughs> and look, you know, let's let's just put it out there. Let's just be honest. Just because you have cancer does not mean you have to stop having sex. Absolutely. Absolutely. But they made it seem like, you know, I did something so wrong, you know, but you know, once that happened, you know, I did realize all of the the danger that I put myself in and, you know, things like that. And I got a little bit more serious about getting better and my treatments and medications and things like that. Because at first it was just a huge blow and you feel you want to still have some control over it yourself. But, you know, you have to like relinquish your own rights to yourself and give it to the doctor so they can make you get better, you know? Right. Well, and it's hard, you know, like we, I mean, first of all, having cancer that comes out of nowhere, right? Like we weren't expecting it. And then, you know, you're at a time in your life where, you know, you're maybe thinking about settling down and having kids and, you know, all of those things. And, you know, it's, it's just so hard. I mean, all of it is, is so hard to process. And, um, you know, I mean, I feel like there are some people who, you know, maybe you weren't intentionally being defiant, but I know yep. there are some people who are intentionally defiant and yeah. And it doesn't mean it's right or it's wrong. I mean, we're just really genuinely trying to do the best that we can. And, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know, like it's, it's just one of those things where it's just so hard to process all of that information. And, yeah. um, and you know, again, I think it's, I think it's a fair point that, you know, sometimes we don't get all the information. No, not at all. And it's, you know, I'm working so hard with other, you know, groups and and organizations and things like that to put just like more awareness out there about being flat and the flat lifestyle and, you know, talking to your doctors about your options and having options and who do you talk to and things like that. So those things are very important because, you know, there's all different types of women in the world. And a lot of us, do not get the information that we're supposed to get, you know, and a lot of it has to do with your diagnosis. Sometimes, like you said, it's not, that's not an option and they have to go in, you know, full throttle with your treatment and all that to get you back in shape. But, you know, it still kind of makes you feel like, well, you know, I wish I knew that, you know, after it's all said and done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I feel like the other thing too is even though all of this is happening, there still should be a level of control and decision-making by the woman or the man, yeah, whomever, you know, I mean, ultimately I think the, the final decision has to rest on the patient. Um, give them all the information, be fully informed. Here is what's going on. This is what we're recommending, you know, but here's all the other information that you need. Exactly. You decide. You I have to decide. This what you, what you will, but you know, here's the information. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so did they take out, did they recommend the hysterectomy simply because, and I don't mean, I shouldn't say simply, um, because it was estrogen positive or is there a family history? No. Well, my mom actually had cancer too, um, a little bit before, but she had, um, it was more like a colon or rectal type of cancer. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother passed away from lung cancer. So I did do a genetics test. 
I don't remember everything about it, but it basically said that they would have never, I, I would have, they didn't, I would have never known that I was going to have cancer or of any kind or anything like that. Cause it's so many other females in my family too, but I'm my mother's only child and things like that. She didn't have breast cancer. So I guess from the gene testing, they didn't see that that was a possibility, I guess for me, but it's just like one of those things that just happened to happen. So, um, you know, I, you know, I don't know. It, it just was, it just was a, it was a surprise, but not really. Cause I remember I told my dad, I was with my dad when it happened and I was just like, I know I have cancer. And he was like, don't say that. And I was like, I know I do by the way they called. But I said, I don't think I have it bad. I said, I may be probably like stage one or two. So I definitely wasn't expecting them to tell me what they told me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, I feel like the, you know, we try sometimes to prepare ourselves and, you know, I, I was convinced I was like, I, I knew it was cancer. Um, and I was convinced as soon as they tell me I'm going to be fine with this. And then they called and I never even heard them say cancer. All I heard them say was, I don't know how to tell you this over the phone. And then I was like screaming. So I never even heard them say you have cancer. Got it. I mean, they could have been calling me to say, I don't know how to tell you over the phone that you have an ingrown toenail or whatever, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it. I was genuinely, I really thought I was going to be fully prepared for those words. Um, and I and it's wasn't. It's funny to laugh about these things now, but you're completely mortified and horrified when it happens. And you're thinking you're never going to laugh again. You're never going to see happiness yes. again. You know, when you get all this information and you're trying to take it in, you're just like, what is life now? I don't know what life is. And then you kind of like slowly but surely, whether it takes months or whether it takes years, you kind of start to feel the groove of things. And I can't say that I'm 100% back to who I was. I'm never going to be that person again. But I've learned a lot. You know, I've seen a lot. I felt a lot. And I look at things a lot differently now. Yes. You know? Yes. I would say, um, you know, and it's really hard in this time right now. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Because this is not normal for anyone. Um, and nope. I, I nope. hate <laughs> what's that? No one expected any of this. We were not prepared for any of this. It no. doesn't even seem real. However, I do feel like for many cancer patients and survivors, we have been in a similar space where just all of a sudden things shifted and then what you thought was normal is no longer normal. And then you're trying to rebuild your life and figure things yeah. out. I can agree with that. You're right. I yeah. Can, I can agree with that totally. Yeah. But, and we also had to wear masks and yes. we're scared to go outside because, yes. you know, we just emo and we're not supposed to be around this and we're not supposed to breathe in that. So we've been through kind of a little what we have to go through now for months now, you know, almost a full year. Right. Yeah. You're like, I. at least I feel like I've been here. This exactly. is a little familiar to me, so I'm not as freaked out. Like, you know, it's all good. Um, sometimes, you know, there are days. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's – it. Um, I love what you said because that moment in time where they tell you – and probably, you know, everybody's different, but the, the time following all of this information, it's really hard to see that there could be laughter and happiness and all of those things. Um, Absolutely. You know, but I I think, you know, mentioning that to our listeners, because reality is, is that we do have listeners who are currently going through treatment. And, um, you know, for me, one of the biggest things that I did to help me through everything was laugh. It is all I could do. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Laughter is the best thing ever. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yes. As much as possible. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So once you had the hysterectomy and the oophorectomy, um, was there anything else after that? Well, I didn't. I still have my uterus. Oh, I you still have. Okay. Have my, I don't have my ovaries or my fallopian tubes. Got and it. I'm not sure as to why they didn't just do, you know, the whole hysterectomy. But I guess, you know, it wasn't to them at the time, it wasn't, you know, my uterus didn't have anything to do with, you know, the fact that it was estrogen based and me still having ovaries and fallopian tubes was putting me at risk and things like that. So that was something that they were very serious about. I was actually the one who 
didn't want to get the surgery because um, if it was up to them, I would have gotten it in 2017. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I just was like, I need a break from all of this. You know, like I was still healing from the mastectomy. You know, that's not something yeah. that you just heal in two months. It's over. Like I'm still to this day, I'm about to start a new type of therapy for, you know, just getting it together in my upper body because it just seems like it's getting worse and worse instead of better, you know? So people don't understand that either. Like once these things happen to you, you have to try to figure out what your body's going to allow you to do and what you can handle now and things like that. So I'm learning as I go along, like what my body can take and things like that. Cause I'm on hormone therapy and that is just like breaking my poor little bones down. I'm on a nostrizol and you know, that, breaks me down, you know, but I have to take it. They, they added five more years. At first it was just yes. five years. Now it's 10 years. Yes. So, you know. Yeah. I remember <laughs> that. I was like so excited and I even have like a Facebook post and it was like my last day of tamoxifen. Yay. Five <laughs> years. And then it was like two weeks later, my doctor was like, oh yeah, we have a new study that says exactly. 10 years is better. Exactly. And then you don't know what they're going to say when the 10 years come. You're just like, oh, my God. Like, I I can't believe that I'm in menopause and I'm, you know, only when I was going through these hot flashes and cold flashes and can't sleep and mood swings and all these different things. I was not ready. Like, (laughs) even to this day, the hot flashes just I just want to cry sometimes because there's nothing you could do about it. You just got to let it come. Well, that's it. And, you know, I take so many medications that I don't want to take anything else to try to make it go away. It's just like, I want to try to deal with it naturally, but there is no dealing with it. Cause mother nature is like, when she's here, it's, it's over, you know? <laughs> right. Well, you know, and so people who have not had a hysterectomy, um, don't, I don't think that they necessarily understand. Like there's a, there's a period of time when you go through menopause that like you transition into that process yeah. when you go through a hysterectomy, it is like wham, bam, like and I am pre- here. Yes, you're fully thrust. It's like one day you're just like chilling and then the next day it's just like, hello, yeah. my new my new life. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and like hot flashes and night sweats. <laughs> like, yeah, the whole thing. You're just like, where oh, did this oh come God, from? Don't even say night sweats. You said night sweats and I just got like a flash because <laughs> last night I was just like, I just was just like, I can't do it anymore. Just like, take me now because I'm just like, do I really have to go through this? It was just so much. I had the air on like 63 and my cousin was here and she was like, it's not even cold outside. Like I'm about to catch pneumonia just because I'm going to be here with you. You know, like I can't, she's all wrapped up in the cover and I'm hot with the tank top on and just walking around like everything's okay. But you know, it's a lot, you know, that's, I don't really think it's something that you can get used to or something that you can take medicine for to stop. Like once your body is in that transition, it's like, that's where you're going to be. That's it. <laughs> you just learn yeah. how to work. Around. Like if I could just have a cooler around me at all times, that would be amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. So although I will tell you that I found a Chinese herb and I don't remember what it is, um, but I got it from an acupuncturist um, that specifically works on hot flashes and it worked amazing for me. I only took about two weeks worth and my hot flashes really diminished. Wow. And I'm about to see one. I'm about to see uh, acupuncturist. My internal medicine doctor is married to one. And so he referred me to her. Yes. And he's saying that she can help me a lot with a lot of the things that I'm going through, like with my stomach and, you know, the menopause and all of that. So hopefully I'm very hopeful to meet her and talk to her about the things that, you know, she can possibly help me with just some something new other than take this new pill, take that new pill, you know, something different. Yeah, ask about, see if she has anything, um, you know, that's a Chinese herb that's specific to um, menopausal symptoms because it it definitely worked for me. Um, Acupuncture, not excited about, but you try it. (laughs) I don't think I'm going to be excited about it. I keep trying to tell my my doctor that, you know, you're thinking that I'm going to like it and I'm thinking I'm going to be like, if you think I'm letting you stick me a thousand times with little needles and I'm just going to sit here calm like it's not happening I don't see how that's gonna work but you never know like <laughs> well that's it you might enjoy it I'm not gonna put I'm not gonna project my feelings about acupuncture it, on you um so you let me know how that goes for you because I would be interested but um I definitely, I definitely 
Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, not, I'm personally not excited about it. It doesn't seem like it's something to be excited about. <laughs> so I'm not going into it happy about it, but I'm interested in learning how it helps, you know, like how it can help me yeah. to be stuck a million times by needles all over my body. I tell you, I just, a lot of people swear by it. Yeah, I know. So. That's why I'm just like, it had something has to work for me. So, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, like it, it, it all I can do is try, you know, yeah. yeah. but I'm not excited about it. So I, I totally understand. <laughs> I totally understand where you're coming from. <laughs> so, um, let's talk about, um, the linkage beauty movement. Um, so this is, this is your baby. Um, yes. so let's talk a little bit about it and you know, when you started it, why you started it. Um, sure. um, yeah. I started it August 1st, 2019. So I just celebrated one year. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Um, but I'm not even, it's, it's honestly, I was in bed one morning and I was feeling so down on myself. Like I look ugly. I don't have hair anymore. My skin is terrible. I, I, every time I looked in the mirror, I would cry because I'm like, I don't have boobs. I look like a guy. You know, it's just, it was so much going on in my brain. And I was like, I just want to feel beautiful. And by me saying that to myself, it like empowered me, you know, to feel like I want to make, other, I know other women are feeling the exact same yes. things that I'm feeling right now. And what is it that I can do to make them feel beautiful? So in my mind, it was just like, I want to link women together. So that's how I came up with linkage. It was like, we're going to be linked in some way because all of us are dealing with some of the same things. It's amazing that I've spoken to women that have gone through the same exact things that I've gone through or worse things or things that haven't been that bad or just, just the fact that there's women out here that know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, that I can appreciate. I know what it used to make me feel like when I was going through chemo, I was in the middle of treatment or just having a bad day and I would get like a care package in the mail or a card from somebody that made that like changed my whole view of that day or made me feel so good. So I wanted to just make a movement that only focused on beauty and making you feel good as a person and making you feel loved and supported. So all I wanted to do was showcase how beautiful women are going through what they're going through or if they're far along in their journey, wherever they are, just to remind them and let them know that they're beautiful no matter what. If you have boobs, if you don't have boobs, if you're, you know, no matter where you're from, where you live, it doesn't matter. We're all fighting the same fight. So we should do it together and we should do it with love. So I just came up with Linkage Beauty Movement and I initially started it on Instagram. I said, I'm going to ask women if it's okay for me to showcase them and we'll see how this goes. And so I sent out a couple of invites and I just so happened to um, be friends with uh, Rebecca on Facebook, um, um, Scalone, and she just empowered me even more um, as far as being flat and going along with my movement because I really wasn't the type of person to have a lot of people that I talk to or deal with. But this has totally changed me. Like I speak to so many women each day. I'm communicating on the phone or via email and I just want to be of help no matter if it's, you know, telling you, oh, hey, here's some resources for this that you're having an issue with, or if you just need someone to cry with, or just yell and curse, or whatever it is that you need to do, I want to be that person. And I realize that I'm only one person, but as much as I can do with whatever time that I have left here, whether it's a short time or a long time, I want to make an impact and I want women to say, hey, she made me feel good. You know, Linkage Beauty Movement made me feel like a superstar. I love so, it. You know, yeah, that's that's where Linkage Beauty came from. So, you I know, every, I have over, I have over 180 showcases at this point. Well, and I think, you know, the the thing that really stands out for me is the fact that you were in a space of not feeling yeah. good about yourself. Yeah. Um, and you acknowledged the fact that if I have these feelings, there are other women out there who are having those feelings. And it's funny that we're having this conversation right now because I, um, for whatever reason, I don't know what it is. Um, just this week alone, I, so I'm, I'm a yoga instructor and I'm certified in yoga for cancer. And my big thing this week has been all about self-love. Yeah. 
So it's just really, you know, coincidental um, that we're having <laughs> <Okay>. this conversation, <laughs> you know, and it's, it really is. It's just all about self-love and finding our own inner beauty. And, you know, beauty isn't like what our bodies look like. And I, exactly. or how we're dressed or yes. what on or what our hair looks like. It's about what you feel on the inside and yes. what you see looking at yourself in the mirror, not what everyone is saying to you. Cause like this, I don't want to make it sound bad, but sometimes when you're going through your journey, your family and friends are not helpful when it comes to being honest with you about things. When they're like, so they're, you look great. They're trained, they're trained to be like, you look beautiful or, Oh, you look, even when you don't, even when you just want someone to yes. just be like, you but you were being, uh, uh, you know what this week, you know, what's wrong with, <laughs> you know, people are scared to say that to you because they're like, you're going through so much and all that. But sometimes you just need that one person to just be honest with you or that you can be honest with and say, Hey, I feel like this. And I feel like I look like this and they understand you and not try to argue you down about how beautiful you look and how this and how that. So, that's why I said you go through it with people, but honestly, your journey is solo. Like you're mm-hmm. you're doing this on your own. You're like redefining who you are on your own because you had no choice because your life just drastically changed. So, right. you know, you have to just adapt, you know? Well, and I think, you know, for me personally, I did not go through chemotherapy, so I never lost my hair. Um, okay. And I maybe I shouldn't say that because I actually lost two sections of hair that were like right in the front um, that for a long time, like I could pull the hairs up and I would look like the devil, um, but they've since no. grown. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> it, I mean, they were kind of fun, but um, you know, so I don't know what that, I don't know what it's like for somebody like when you don't have any hair and people are like, Oh, but you're beautiful and you're this and you're that. Like, even though I had my hair, I still did not feel beautiful. Exactly. You know, exactly. and no one can tell you yes. to make change. It's something that you have to go through. Like you have to go through the process because it, it would even make me mad. Like when people I'm feeling so bad and everyone is like, oh, you look beautiful, bald and You should stay bald and you should. And I'm just like, are you kidding me right now? You know, I would just cry because I was like, I didn't even want to look at myself. But I just had to like get it together one day and like talk to myself like Mimi you are better than this. Like, you know that you're beautiful and you're worthy and, you know, you can't feel like this forever. You know, your hair is going to grow back. Even if it doesn't, you're beautiful. So I just had to keep, you know, beating that into my, in my own brain every day. So I have notes all over, um, you know, my little, I call it linkage beauty headquarters, you know, where I have my desk and all my stuff set up, but I have everywhere just to like, motivate me, you know, to, to get me out of whatever stupor I'm, I'm headed down. If I start to feel down or if I wake up in the morning and I need to recite some things to make my, to ground myself, then I do that. But that's also helpful too. Yeah. Well, and I do the same thing. I have, I have notes everywhere. (laughs) They're on my mirror. So like when I wake up in the morning and I'm getting ready, yeah, like I'm going through those, those things that are posted there and, um, you know, just reminding myself because one of the things that, um, you know, I think that even though I feel like I've been in this space of, you know, not being able to be around a lot of people and all of that, I feel like I still have learned some things throughout this. And, um, one of the things is I was really getting down on myself. So usually I'm very active. I'm like out and about and, um, just lots of things going on. And it really just caused me to stop everything. You know, I didn't, we're, like, I can't go and dragon boat. I can't do the activities that I typically do. So I've been really hard on myself. And one of the things I've been thinking about is, would I ever say the same things to my best friends that I say to myself? <laughs> like, why, like, why am I being so harsh on myself? Like, I would never look at my best friend. Yeah, we're our own yes. biggest critic. We're our own enemy. And it's like once we get a hold of it, then it's fine. But when we don't have any control over it, it just like kind of takes over us and what we're doing and how we're feeling and what we're thinking and everything. You're so hard on yourself. Yes. So I understand. I understand because there were some days I just was so, you know, just like and I when I think about it even now, I'm just like, why? Why did I do that to myself? Yeah. Yeah. 
Exactly. And I, you know, I think we, it's even worse. Like, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure, but I felt like it was worse when I was going through cancer because I was telling myself things like, you're not worthy. You, nobody's going to love you. You know, it's look at you, you know, you don't have real boobs and, you know, just all of these things. So I love what you're doing. I love the fact that you have, you know, acknowledged something that you struggled with personally and have taken that to help build up other people. Thank you. I appreciate that. That means a lot to me because, you know, I just, I just, like I said, when people say, well, what is Linkage Beauty about? And it's like, it's simple. I just want people to feel beautiful. It's just that, like, it's not a long, of course I have a a mission statement and things like that, but it's not, for me, it's not that big of a deal. I just want us to feel beautiful, period. Yeah. You know, no matter what stage we're in, no matter where we are in our journey, like, I just want us to feel beautiful and, you know, valued, you know, because we, we don't feel, you know, we start to feel a little less than, you know, all Mm -hmm. these things are for me at one point I was just like I'm a borderline guy at this point like I have no boobs I have no fallopian tubes no ovaries I can't have a kid I don't have any hair you know I'm so skinny you can see my rib cage so it's just like I'm so going overboard with how I feel about myself and like I said it nobody can make me get out of that I had to like really ground myself and say this is not right like you can't do this to yourself you're gonna put yourself in an early grave by stress when God clearly gave you another chance to be here because you survived, you know, through all the things that you've been through. So at this point, you got to get up and, you know, empower yourself and don't look for it in anyone else and make this movement happen. Yeah, I love that. I, I think it's, I mean, I think it's so powerful. So my question for you is, um, did you get any kind of like support? to help you through those moments or? Um, okay. uh, I'm not gonna, cause I got married um, immediately after I stopped chemo. Cause I promised my fiance at the time um, when he proposed to me that February, that in June, when I finished chemo, we can get married. So that's exactly what I did. The week after I stopped chemo, we went and got married. And I would say that he was, very vital and very important with my surviving and with showing me support as far as taking care of me. Cause there were times that I couldn't do anything for myself. Mm-hmm. So, um, he was there, you know, when my family wasn't there, when my friends weren't there, he was there. So, um, currently, unfortunately we're separated right now, but during that time, um, you know, at the early stages of my chemo and being diagnosed and things like that, he was there. So yes, I did get support up until like the end of radiation. Um, like when I ended radiation and I had the miscarriage and things like that, things kind of went south with us and we've been separated ever since then. Okay. Okay. Did you ever go to any support groups or anything? You know what? Honestly, I'm just now, I would say within the past um, after that happened, I started to seek therapy. So I, I started with a psychiatrist and then I got bumped to a psychologist. So I see a psychologist every week and I check in with my psychiatrist every month, once a month, just to see what I'm doing, how I'm doing on the medication that they put me on. Is it working? You know, what, what am I experiencing? Are things changed in my life? Things like that. So I definitely have support, um, as far as that goes, as far as family, I can't really say me and my mom, we're not close. We don't really talk that much. And that's, that really hurts me. It's kind of unfortunate, but I'm hopeful that like in the future, maybe somehow we'll be able to, you know, find a way to be able to communicate with each other, um, you know, without it going south and things like that. But I'm close with my dad and I'm close with a few of my family members. So I do have some support. I do have friends and associates and people that support me and love me. So, you know, sometimes we want support from certain people and we want support from who we want it from. But we have to take into account the people who are there and the people who are present and the people who do make an effort to be there for you. So. You know, I do I can answer that question and say, yes, I have support now. Um, but there were times that I felt, you know, totally alone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how am I going to do this? You know, even now, you know, I'm separated. I'm not 
in any other relationships and things like that. So this whole quarantine, I was literally by myself, just me and my dog. <laughs> so that was a lot to deal with, you know, still yeah. have the doctor and things like that. It's, it's just been a lot going to the grocery store and being afraid to be around people and right. wearing the mask and it's yeah. just a lot. You can't even talk to the people at the grocery store. Like, I feel like everybody is like avoiding each other. And so, you know, yeah, you can't... and they're it's set up that way too, like with right. the big old plastic things in your face. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. it's so different you now. No one ever expected this. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, um, you know, the reason I ask that is because, you know, I think a lot of us get into a space that is, you know, um, maybe a dark space, you know, it's yes. a, it's a difficult space. And, um, sometimes we don't necessarily have the tools to bring ourselves out of that, but I think it's important for you know, our listeners just understand that it's okay to seek out support wherever that support might come from. Absolutely. Like I, I'm a advocate totally of seeking help. You know, it doesn't have to be oh, I have to go see a shrinker. Oh, I have to, it doesn't have to be that. You can find a support group or just a, yes. a counselor, a caseworker, just someone who's willing to listen as long as you're willing to talk and get things out. Because it's all up to the person. Like you have to be willing to be open. And if you're closed and you have boundaries and you have all these walls up, it's hard for a person to even understand who you are. So once you start to let that guard down, you know, it life doesn't seem as bad as it is when you're doing everything alone and not talking to anyone. Right. It kind of up for you and you see things differently and you're viewing it different and you have different tools and resources to use when you're having a bad day or, you know, those, all those things are helpful, you know, as far as your mental health goes, like people ignore it. And, you know, that causes a lot of grief and um, dysfunction within yourself when you ignore how you feel. Yes. Yes. 100%. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, well, I have loved talking to you so much. Um, Wise. This was a joy. I'm, I'm delighted. I'm honored. Thank you so, so much. Oh, you are so welcome. Um, and please continue to keep doing the work that you're doing because I think it's so important. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And you do the same <laughs> because... Oh. I appreciate and love what you do as well. You know, all the things that we do as far as, you know, sticking together and awareness and support and things like that, all these things are very important. So, you know, like I said, I'm honored to, to speak with you on your podcast and just to know you, period. So, you know, thank you so much for choosing me to speak with and having me on your platform. Of course. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.
Absolutely.